Welcome to Shadow Talk, your weekly dose of cybersecurity and threat intelligence analysis. I'm your host, Rafael Amado. This week, our Russian-speaking security specialist discovered a post from a criminal forum that provided files and source code that were allegedly related to the Carbonac organized criminal group. Now, our team reviewed these files to understand the implications for financial services organizations. In this episode, we'll delve deep into the contents of the leak, which reveals the startling insight criminal groups have into how financial organizations operate. We'll also discuss whether this leak represents a threat to organizations and how businesses can best defend themselves from the techniques used by sophisticated financial criminal groups. All this to come on this week's Shadow Talk. And joining me once again today, we have Simon Hall, Senior Security Engineer here at Digital Shadows. Hi, Simon. Hi there, F. Thanks for joining. And also we've got Dr. Richard Gold, Head of Security Engineering. How are you, Richard? Very well, thank you. How are you? Very good. So it's been a busy but exciting week for the both of you, I assume, with these Carbon Act findings. But let's start with a brief overview of what happened. So as I mentioned previously, our Russian-speaking specialist found a rather unusual post on the criminal forum known as exploit.in. Now, the post was made on the 6th of July, 2018, and contained links to files and source code that were allegedly related to the Carbon Act group. Then on the 11th of July, these download links were added to Pastebin, sparking a storm on Twitter among the information security community who were trying to make sense of these files. Now, Richard and Simon, before I ask you about the contents of these files, we should explain who or what Carbonac is exactly, as this has added a lot of confusion around this leak. Carbonac specifically can be quite a confusing one in the InfoSec community, as it refers both to the name of a criminal group, as well as a custom malware used to target financial organizations. Richard, can you tell us a bit more about the difference between these? Sure. So Carbonac, also known as Fin7, just also to confuse things, confuse things, things even more. Yeah, exactly. Is one of the more boutique cyber criminal groups that we've seen operating in recent times. They've been associated with a whole string of very high profile heists effectively making off with millions, if not even billions of dollars. And Carbonac, as you mentioned, refers to the group, also known as Fin7, as well as a custom backdoor that they used. Now, what's kind of confusing with what's happened now is that the Carbonac leak turns out to most likely not be Carbonac. probably associated to another group, depending on who you talk to, that's either Bootrap or that's either Ratopak or Karamanak. So there's lots of different terms for this. However, I think for this podcast, I don't think it really makes sense to get too caught up in the attribution side of things. It's still very, very unclear. But I think what is worth taking home from this is the operational and technical sophistication of some of these financial crime groups. So yes, Rich, regardless of the identity, um, let's start talking about what's actually in these files. So what type of data and code were contained in this leak then? So this leak contained a really interesting mix of things. There was a custom malware called Pegasus. There were also files that seem to be linked to actual operations. 
and there were these files were pretty interesting. There was a quite detailed tutorials around the anti-fraud mechanisms used by many banks. So in one place there was a, a very long checklist of anti-fraud measures. So this included things like if a sender's passport was lost, was registered as lost, then that would be flagged. If the company involved in the transaction, if the head of that company's passport had been registered as lost, it would also be flagged. So there's all these kinds of anti-fraud measures that were extremely detailed. And there was also a lot of information about how they made fraudulent transactions. So it went into a lot of detail about how payments are made inside of the banks that were being targeted. So that included both how manual payments, how automatic payments are made, and the difference between them, how the signing is done, how they move through the transport gateways, and so on. And also, quite disturbingly, there was a spreadsheet with a list of about a thousand people who were working in key areas in a whole number of Russian banks. Now, the purposes of this spreadsheet is unclear, but what is clear is that the attackers had gone to great lengths to understand the targets and to understand how the target's business processes operated, how to take advantage of them, how to subvert them. I think it was one of the most interesting insights into the world of these high-level criminal actors that we've seen for a long time. Yeah, and so alongside all those documents, stuff I found really interesting was uh, the Active Directory uh, user dumps as well um, for various banks within Russia. Uh, So there's a lot of information here uh, about all of the users inside these domains, active or disabled, which was uh, quite eye-opening. Yeah, it really shows that these guys, they're, they're, they're really professional. They're taking a very serious approach to their operations. They're really spending that time to get to know every single last detail of the environments that they're compromising. So alongside that, uh, you also had the the source code for Pegasus, um, which was the malware. Um, sorry, Pegasus, which was the the malware that they used. A lot of this seemed to be uh, pretty bespoke and custom for the job as well. So I haven't had a chance to go through uh, the malware too much, but I know a lot of other people have done some reviews and code analysis on this already. Um, the stuff that I have seen is is quite interesting mix of tools and techniques they're using inside there. And also a few CVEs that they've uh, got kind of disclosed in there. Um, sorry, a few uh, CVE mentions as well uh, that have been tweeted about uh, that the exploits are available inside this source code. Yeah, we should mention that this is also dates back to about 2015. So a lot of the, the vulnerabilities that these guys were targeting back then, obviously patched now by the vendors, but the the level that they were operating at back then yeah exactly they had their own their own exploits it's pretty pretty cool they were happy also to take existing tools like mimikatz and modify that for their own ends but as simon rightly pointed out when it when it got serious so for the 
specific task of dealing with the financial institutions that they'd compromised. These guys were going custom. They had their own tooling for that. And like I say, it looked like they really spent an amazing amount of effort to, to get to know those environments or had already known these environments well in advance. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting mixture. And say the uh, the version of uh, Mimikatz, I think, was flagged previously. Uh, that was only uh, operational on Windows XP. But a couple of the exploits they're using for um, system privesc uh, within this code actually was operational from I think around Windows XP through to Windows 10. So it was uh, operational for some time. And I think it was even uh, seen dire uh, bank intrusion was seen using the same privesc exploits as well. Yeah, that's a good point. One of the things we should pick up on here is that there is code sharing, tool sharing between different criminal groups and also the developers, the malware developers also move between different groups. There's, there's no, no major surprises here. So we can expect to see the same techniques showing up in, in related or even unrelated malware simply because of the flow of information and flow of personnel between different groups. For sure. I've seen a few people mentioning, uh, as of with like the equation group um, dumps, that some of these this code may be reused and end up in other pieces of malware. But I think it looks fairly... I mean, it's it's fairly aged now, but it's also fairly bespoke for for the jobs that they were they were doing. Clearly, yeah, I, I I fully agree. I think we've talked about this before, but when when we see dumps like this, people often are concerned that this means that a whole raft of actors are going to be enabled by these leaks. But as as you pointed out, Simon, I think it's going to be difficult. These are very, very specific for certain environments. They're not universal. They're not used everywhere across the globe. And it's going to be difficult to make them work elsewhere. Now, the the parts that are generalizable, sort of standard remote access Trojan features, privesque, persistence, these kinds of things, can be found in all kinds of different pen testing toolkits, you know, Cobalt Strike, Empire, or, or, or others. So I don't think that there's that much that this dump is going to be enabling directly in terms of uh, capabilities that actors don't have already. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, as you say, we're not looking at attribution um, here, but there is, a, there is some evidence going around that there's a lot of code reuse through this as well, which makes sense. I mean, you know, you see the the use of uh, Mimikatz, which is open source, um, and there's other pieces of uh, code within there that's been reused between different pieces of malware, um, so, and it's quite common for that to happen. So to pick up on that, I think one of the primary questions many of our listeners will be asking is whether this leak has made them more vulnerable to attacks. Now, from what you guys are saying, it seems although the source code has been leaked, um, it's unlikely other groups or actors will just be able to pick up, pick it up and start using it because of how sophisticated and detailed it is. So why should our listeners care about this? Why is it significant? I think the most interesting thing for me is that it really shows the operational and technical sophistication of these guys. So 
often in, in cybersecurity, we are accused of being alarmist. And, and you know, often good reason. There is a, a tendency to be hysterical about things and to overhype the threat. The, the whole nation state piece is one example of this. But in this case, it really shows that there are actors out there. They have a lot of targets. They have financial institutions clearly in their crosshairs. They've got either people who used to work in these environments or people who know these environments on board, taking full advantage of their knowledge and their experience. They're writing custom toolkits, which are taking advantage of either vulnerabilities or misconfigurations or lack of oversight in the business processes to achieve their ends. We know that they've been successful. We know that they've made off with very, very large amounts of money. So it shows that these people really are operating. They really are out there. And it is something to be concerned about. Now, I'm not advocating that we need to be paranoid now. But for me, at least, I think it really shows how much work certain groups are prepared to put in to really overcome the defenses of these organizations. Yeah, uh, 100%. And I think the the main key thing here is with this particular um, piece of malware, and uh, sorry, this particular piece of malware, as we said, is utilizing some known uh, exploits. But this was from around 2015, the same time when these exploits were actually released. Um, so they're they're using the the newest tricks. Um, so it's not they're not creating custom exploits for this. They're not going out there and buying some zero days to try and get into these banks. They are kind of keeping up with the news. They're using the latest CVEs um, to actually to exploit these systems to to gain a foothold. Um, and there's some talk that the initial entry point may have been uh, document based so using phishing to get into some of these systems and then they're using these well-known exploits to gain a proper foothold on these systems so while people are again we've mentioned this before worrying about the the kind of zero days out there the the trading of some of these exploits that no one else has um, it's it goes to show that these groups are using common exploits Um, so keeping an eye on kind of the latest vulnerabilities coming out and patching your system would actually uh, provoke some of these attacks. Yeah, I think as well, it's worth keeping in mind that uh, once, they've, once they've gotten in, you know, they knew where to go. They knew what to do, what to look at. And I think that it can be tempting to think that attackers just don't know how financial institutions are wired on the inside. But if you look at some of the the tutorials that they provided, and that's also kind of interesting, actually, why are there tutorials in there? How are they, are they sharing this? Are they doing work for someone else? That's also kind of an interesting point. But if you look at the tutorials, they mention which processes running on a machine should you look for when you're looking for the, the payment gateway the, or the transfer gateways, they say that you know, in large banks, some components may be missing or the installation location may not be visible, in which case you have to look for which automated solutions are being used. 
and figure out from, from those, for example, which file servers are being used to see how payment files are exchanged and all of this kind of, all this kind of detail. So they say they really, they really got into this. And it says another one, which, you know, on the basis of the logs, find out when things are turned on and off, the frequency of flights, the, which I assume means transfers, the settings for file sharings. There's you know, a lot of detail in here about you know, whether the file signing is made automatically or whether it's done manually. Uh, you know. So what I mean is that there's a lot of emphasis on that. And if you think about the kill chain, you know, the initial entry point, that kind of thing. But once they got inside, they, they were able to, to move laterally, get to their targets. And I think that that shouldn't be ignored. That to me is a, as complex as developing your own zero day. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, with the exploitation, there's nothing out of the norm here. Um, as you say, the, the key thing from the key takeaway from this is the amount of intel they'd managed to gather on these, uh, on these banking systems. Um, it's pretty incredible. I think that probably took a lot more work than actually uh, the dev on these tools. And it's not just the systems. I mean, one of the things that really caught my eye was that key, that list of sort of several spreadsheets with key personnel in all these banks. And as you said, Simon, it included Active Directory backups, but then there was a separate list of over a thousand individuals responsible in senior positions across a range of banks and all these different details, their emails, their position, where they work exactly. So it's not just the technical, the system information that they've got um, a good handle on. It's also the actual personnel in these organizations as well. Right. And you think about it that you can buy exploits. That's, there's a market for that. If you've got some money, you can go and buy an exploit if you really need it. You know, I've also been trained by guys who don't use exploits. And they have a very high success rate of getting into well-defended organizations. So as we've talked about before, you, know, you don't need to get hung up on that. You can pretty much assume that they'll find a way in one way or the other. But as you both have mentioned, the, the amount of intel that they have on the personnel and on the business processes, I think is what really differentiates them from other criminal actors that we've seen. And as you say, the, the amount of work that must have gone in to identify 1,000 key employees at different banks have their work address work telephone number, mobile number, forum username, which is also quite interesting. What forum could that be? There's, there's a wealth of information there that they've gathered. And that really shows that they, these guys are really focused. Yeah, I mean, it just, it makes you wonder really the size of these groups and the actual amount of time they spent on these, uh, on these attacks. I mean, I, I can't imagine they would be done over the case of weeks or months. This is a, a long old, a long old job. So having said all this, what advice then can we give organizations looking to defend against some of the techniques that have been displayed in these, in these findings, particularly those performed by the more sophisticated financial criminal groups? 
Um, I think, I mean, again, when you're looking at the exploits, they're, they're pretty common. So just the normal patching routines to prevent some of the lateral movement. Um, but it's a lot more difficult when it comes down to the, the human-based stuff. Um, social engineering is, uh, is pretty difficult to prevent if done right. Yeah, social engineering works. It's definitely one of the takeaways from this. As, uh, as Simon mentioned, I think a lot of the mitigation is is reasonably standard. Of course, you have to be very careful that you are really doing all of the necessary mitigations in the you know, to the fullest extent. I talked about you know, security engineering principles before principle of least privilege, attack surface reduction, network segmentation, all these kind of things, which are, are very, very important. And I think that continuous monitoring and continuous evaluation of security controls is also very important and is often a piece which is missed. It's not just deploy something and you're done. You have to constantly check if that configuration that you've got in place is really behaving in the way that you expect it to. I think that decay of quality of control is a real concern. And of course, attackers will take advantage of that wherever they find it. So the defense in depth approach of multiple partially overlapping security controls is very important. But I think as well, you have to have that continuous evaluation. Now, well, a pen test is, of course, one way. Purple team, where you have your offensive security guys and your defensive security guys working together to collaborate and uncover misconfigurations or weaknesses in your security posture is another excellent way of doing it. And anything that you can put in place to increase attacker costs is going to be worthwhile as these guys are, are very persistent, but you can make their lives more difficult. To recap, a leak containing files and source code allegedly related to the Carbonat criminal group was posted on Exploit IN earlier this month. Our team have analyzed the contents of these files and some of the most interesting findings are as follows. One, the group behind the malware have detailed knowledge of banking systems. Two, the group use common and recently released exploits. Three, the group have detailed workflows into how to make fraudulent payments and bypass anti-fraud measures. And finally, the exposed spreadsheets of individuals in influential positions is a reminder that individuals responsible for handling payments are attractive targets for criminals. Now, as Richard and Simon have explained, the defense in-depth approach and reviewing permissions, revoking them as necessary, can help mitigate against many of the techniques shown here. This is obviously a fascinating finding and judging by discussions on Twitter, a lot of people still have questions. So for more on this, please visit resources.digitalshadows.com where you'll find a host of research content from our teams, including a very good article by the security engineering team on this Carbon Act, or should we say not Carbon Act findings. Also, if listeners have any specific questions on this topic, feel free to submit questions to our Twitter account with the hashtag shadow talk for our team to answer in next week's episode. Details of this will be in the description of the podcast. So that's all we have time for today. Simon and Richard, thank you very much for your time, for your work on this this week. No problem. No worries. Thank you. And thank you listeners. Have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>